Welcome to Squawk. My name is Luke. I'll be your host today and Dr. Brian Nixon. For those of you who might just be finding us and listening, Squawk stands for Student Questions at Calvary College. For those of you who are our faithful listeners, you already know what that means, but and you're probably already squawking at us. <laughs> so we're glad to see that happening and glad to welcome you to the show. What we do, we have a list of questions that have been given to us from students, and we roll a die to determine which of those questions we tackle. This week, that honor goes to Dr. Nixon. He rolls the die, and you'll hear that die roll shortly. Then we're going to launch right into answering. And Luke, I'm going to do something a little different. I'm going to hide the result from you. I wonder if we have if our die is shy, because when we <laughs> when we when we roll him in the public, he always seems to go to like number four or something right. of that nature. So I'm going to give him a little bit of privacy, and then I'll <laughs> I'll take off take out my hands, just cover it, and then we'll both see what it is. Sounds good. Yeah, and, and also for our listeners, we don't prepare for these questions. As a matter exactly. of fact, we don't know where the die is going to roll. I don't even know what the questions are. So, um, so it, it it is a fun endeavor for us as well. So here we go. I'm I'm rolling it. All right, and I'm taking my hands off. Twelve. Have we uh, got a twelve before? I think this is the third time we've gotten a twelve. So my my theory of giving him <laughs> privacy had no bearing whatsoever yeah. on on the die. But uh, you know we, what they 12. say, Brian. There's no expectation of privacy in public, so yeah. <laughs> I guess the die must have known that. <laughs> That's exactly right. We're going to flip it over, and what do we got? Oh, I, I know I say this every week, and I know that I say that I say it every week, but I have to continue saying it, and that is, these are such excellent questions. Question 12, what is sanctification, and how do I do it? Oh, great question. Now that, that and what what's what's nice is it has both a, a theological aspect to it and it has a very practical Absolutely. aspect to it. So, like normal, if our if you're just joining us, we usually like to kind of define our terms, if you will, um, give the big picture, and then we hone down a little bit more. So, sanctification is the general principle that we are conforming more and more into the image of Christ. And generally speaking, it is one of the processes that are involved in the whole entire Christian life. So mm. we, we usually, and this is a simplistic you know, overview, but it's justification. And that's where you become a Christian. You turn your life over to Christ. Then sanctification, you're being conformed into the image of Christ. Right. And then finally glorification. You leave this, this um, you know, earth. You're to be absent with the bodies, to be present with the Lord. And then one day, of course, you'll be coming back. So we should probably give that a, 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 another terminology. But generally speaking, it's justification, sanctification, and glorification. So sanctification is that first moment of belief to the moment you go home to be with the Lord. It's the work of the Holy Spirit hmm. in the life of the believer to conform them more and more into the image of Christ. So let me just give you a practic example. You know, someone may have, when they were, let's say, in high school or junior high, they may have cussed like a sailor. I mean, you know, every word out of their mouth was a swear word. I, you know, blankety-blank this, blankety-blank that. Well, they become a Christian. And over a period of time, the Holy Spirit is working on the, the heart and life and mind of the individual. And that person is 
one day finding out, hey, I'm not swearing as much as I used to. I'm not sounding like a sailor just getting off a boat. Another example, maybe someone, you know, previously coming to Christ, they they were engaged in, let's say, violent acts, or they were stealing, or, you, you know, you fill in the blank, whatever it is. And then after becoming a Christian, they're finding out, well, you know, I'm not stealing much anymore, or I'm, I'm not beating up people or, or, or something of that nature. And that's the work of the Holy Spirit indwelling the person and conforming them into the, the person of Christ. So that's big picture. And I, there's a lot we could unpack here, and I think there's right. a couple of tangents we could go on as well. But you know, the second part is how do we you get sanctification? Well, the first thing is you have to become a Christian. You have to turn your life. You have to believe and right. receive. You have to believe that the Lord Jesus Christ died, rose again, and he's he is who he says he is, and you have to receive him as your Lord. So you believe and receive. And then at that moment, the promise of scripture is that you are a Christian, and then you start to conform. But practically, Luke. I think there's a lot of things people could do to partner, if you right. will, uh, with God in our sanctification. And a lot of those uh, are found in Scripture, but I'll just pinpoint, let's say, five of them found in the early church, the book of Acts, chapter 2. It says the disciples, the early Christians, they gathered together, they listened to the Lord's doctrine, so Bible study, let's say. Right. They prayed together, so we should be praying people. They had communion, so we should be regular participants of the Lord's Supper. And then there was the fellowship. And then finally, they went out and told others there was evangelism. So these components, I think if we're persistently and consistently doing them, we are going to be conformed more and more into the image of Christ. It's kind of like, you know, reading a manual, though the Bible's a lot more fun to read than a manual. <laughs> but if you want to know how to work, let's say, a computer— you, you read the manual, and, and then with practical experience and you working on it, you become better at it. And there's an analogous, we want to become better Christians or more astute. There's that element where we got to read the manual, the Bible, but we also have to practice it. We have to get out there and do it. And the combination of the reading and studying with the practical application you know, the Holy Spirit is using that to conform us more and more to the image of Christ. So that's the big picture. I'll let you hop in, Luke, and you could do it. But then I think it'd be appropriate to kind of, it's not directly inferred within the question, but I think a couple of things we do have to talk about in relationship to sanctification. Agreed. I, I love the, the overview. I think that, you know, just making it simple, because there's, what, 33, by some counts, things that happen to us when we receive salvation. And those are the big ones. Mm -hmm. Now, a couple of things I'm going to throw out there buzzwords, not because I want them to be buzzy, <laughs> mm -hmm. but because they are part of the picture. A lot of people, when they hear the word predestination, first thing they think is, oh, God's picked me for such and such. But it's interesting that at least a couple of the usages of sanctification in Scripture utilize this term to refer to the believer's conformity to Christ. Mm -hmm. So that means that one of his big purposes in salvation, if not if not the biggest purpose, is to make us in almost all aspects just like Jesus. Mm -hmm. Now, we're not going to become gods, so sanctification is not the process whereby we become deity. It's where we become 
like Christ. And there's a point at which we will have reached during the point of glorification that you brought out, Brian, we will have reached that point of ultimate conformity that Mm -hmm. is within the scope of what it means to be both human and to be perfectly restored to the image of God as we were when we were first created. Mm -hmm. And so that's an exciting thing. I love this question specifically because the one who's asking it is saying, well, what's my part in this? Mm -hmm. And that takes a little bit of understanding because some theological systems, as you know, Brian, they're going to say, well, if it's something that it's predestined to happen, then that means I have no part in it. But as you very clearly pointed out, and as scripture talks about, there's definitely a place where we come in and we partner with God, not because we're trying to take his place, but because it's happening within us. Mm-hmm. I would hesitate only briefly to say that I'm not off the top of my head aware of any place in Scripture where something happens within us spiritually in which we are not in some way, shape, or form responsible to either have allowed it to happen, in other words, giving God the green light to do the change that he wants to, or we are directly responsible for inculcating the truth that he gives us so that he can go to work on Mm -hmm. us. And this is no different. And so I think it's a great question. It's a great question. You you know, to even get a little bit more specific, you the word sanctification is from the word from Latin sanctus, which simply means holy. Mm -hmm. And if you were to break it down to its least common denominator, is sanctification is the process of the Holy Spirit making us holy, making us Christ-like. So it's that state or process whereby we are made holy mm. in accordance with of Christ as, as the model. So sanctification is a very important part um, of the Christian life. And, and what, you know, you've already brought up one facet, you know, let's say a, a more Calvinistic, you know, understanding. And then on the flip side, you have a very, very Arminian, you know, hyper-Arminian. And the two extremes sometimes um, become very vocal <laughs> in, in their, their positions that they forget that the balanced middle. And I think most Christians should really try to shoot for a balanced biblical perspective on this. So let me give you the extremes of san- the, what, what many would call the sanctification or the holiness movement. That someone in this life could reach a state of perfection, that you mm-hmm. could literally become in this life so holy that you are sinless. Well, there's been a lot of debate on this over the years, and many people throughout history have tried to do this. It's not just a modern 1800s you know, endeavor into the 1900s. You know, people throughout the Middle Ages and the early church and, and everything, they, they tried to become so holy that they were, you know, just like Christ. And just on that note, there is a verse, and we're not saying that we agree with this. There's a verse that says, they who have suffered in the flesh have ceased from sin. Mm-hmm. And that's one of the ideas that they try to use, right. isolating that verse. Sure. Oh, there's 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 a lot of other, you know, isolating verses. But if someone is, is so passionate in their partnership with God and in, in, in the work of the Holy Spirit, where they could get to this, this perfected state, God bless them on the endeavor. I mean, right. I, 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 I would never stop anyone who said, you know what, I want to strive to live a holy, righteous, Christ-like life. And I'd go, amen, go for it. Right. Um, I have never met anyone, you know, in my 
50 plus years on planet earth, anyone who's ever reached that state. And I've met some really godly people before, but I've seen even the most godly people sin and do things that were un-Christ-like. And so I personally have never met. You know, people try to bring up individuals, you know, from history. John Wesley was was one who was really persistent of trying to live a holy life. John Wesley himself admitted, I never reached a state of perfection. I never reached a sinless type life, even though he theoretically thought maybe someone could do it. Whether or not someone can do it, um, I, I, I I kind of lean towards the way that someone can't do it in this life. But the fact that someone would yearn to live a holy life, to be a Christ-like individual, you, you can never go wrong there. As long as you don't become legalistic or dogmatic or unloving in the process, you know, I'm holy and you're not type thing. Because the moment you become very judgmental, then you're, you're blowing the whole thing because then you're, you're, you are sinning. <laughs> so so your, your, your sanctification is, is yet to be complete. But I think the pursuit of holiness is something very good. So that's, that's the one, let's call it the hyper-Arminian side, that we, I could, in my own flesh, work up to this perfected state and be sinless and so on and so forth. And then on the far right, which you alluded to, is, is kind of a, a hardened, Calvinistics, you know, that God chose you from the foundations of the world, double predestination. He chose some for mm-hmm. hell. He chose some for, for um, heaven. And, you know, irregardless of what you do or don't do, and again, this is a simplification of, of this. I, I completely understand there's m- many more nuances. I mean, I did grow up Presbyterian after all. <laughs> so I, I understand, you know, the nuances, but what I'm, I'm giving a caricature of of someone who says, you know, a heart in Calvinist double predestination, you know, so you were chosen, you're saved. And let's be honest, it ultimately doesn't matter if you're living holy, holy or not, because God has, has elected you. He saved you. Both extremes I just painted are hyper caricatures of them to, to make a point that when you follow both of those extremes to end results, you, you come up with problems on both cases, hyper Arminian and hyper Calvinism. And both of them lead to a place of despair. That's exactly right. Because they're so far off the mark of what God intended the Christian life to be. Yeah, and let's use let's pick on hyper Arminianism. Someone who's going, oh, I I I, I sinned today. I'm not living the perfect life. I have to go forward again and get saved because yeah. I must have lost my salvation. So they're getting quote unquote saved week after week after week mm. because they feel. They are not living the holy life that God demands of them. So, the, you know, they, they come in and out of salvation. Whereas maybe on the other hyper side, hyper Calvinism, it's like, you know, just do what you want because, you know, you're chosen. And in both extremes, I think, are missing the point of what yeah. sanctification of what holiness is. It is a work of the Holy Spirit in the heart and life and mind of, of a person. And our job is align our will with his will. Our job is not to go, well, Holy Spirit, you're living in me. Jump on my bandwagon because I'm going to do what I want to do. No, it's to say, okay, Lord, what is it you want to accomplish? And and we've already established that it's to conform us into the image of Christ. So I need to, as Paul would say, walk in the Spirit. I need to be attentive to walking in the Spirit, to allow the Spirit to lead. And when I blow it and when I fall and when I... I miss the mark, then I repent and get back up and keep walking. 
and then the Holy Spirit will is is working. He's conforming. He's chiseling away all those you know those right. bad parts. And the, and other times when I'm when I'm spot on and I'm I'm doing what I need to do. You know that that's the Holy Spirit still still working because the Holy Spirit we have to remember is truth, and He's leading us to truth, I'm and gonna, He's and He's leading us to Christ. I'm going to throw a couple of verses out there specifically, and in doing this, I'm thinking of. You know, those who may have this question, in addition to the person who's asked it, those of us, you who are listening, and the Bible makes the practical aspect of this just that. It's very practical. And I would, I'd throw a couple verses out there and we can maybe examine these a little bit more. One verse that comes to mind is Romans chapter 12. Well, two verses really, verses one and two. I beseech you therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, mm-hmm. holy, acceptable unto God, and that's not H-O-L-Y, that's W-H-O. Mm-hmm. Um, so holy, acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service, and be not conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, that you may prove what is the good and acceptable and perfect will of God. And the second verse that comes to mind is, I believe it's Hebrews 12, 1. It says, Wherefore, lay aside every weight and the sin which doth so easily beset you, And run with patience the race that is set before you, looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of your faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is now set down on the right hand of the throne of God. Now, this is the important part, because we're talking about the practical. It says, And consider him which which endured such contradiction of sinners against himself, lest ye also be wearied and faint in your minds. So this points out a distinctly human element in our sanctification, where we have a particular goal that we are pursuing, that we are to be pursuing with endurance, and the manner in which we pursue it, even though we have an analogous picture of effort, the effort that we exert is something that begins spiritually and then ends up having usually some type of outward manifestation mm-hmm. where, you know, work out your own salvation is fear and trembling. It's not talking about, you know, go get yourself saved. He's saying there are elements of your salvation that need to be worked out through your life. Galatians 5.22, you know, I live my life by the faith of the Son of God. I live my life in faith. That's how the just live. So with this type of element, looking at the human side of it, for those who would say, well, it doesn't require any effort on our part. You know, God's just going to do it. Those passages in my understanding would stand very strongly to say, no, you do have a part. It's very clearly spelled out. What what are your thoughts on that? Yeah, no, I I agree. And, you know, that's why different theologians and Bible teachers throughout history have even broken up sanctification into processes. Kind of like I started off with justification, sanctification, glorification is a very general, big overview of, of the Christian experience. People have broken up sanctification into stages and steps as well. One group is the Keswick movement Mm. in England. Many people know of the Keswick. For those of you who don't, it was an evangelical movement that began in England, and it really stressed missionary activity, holy living, and so on and so forth. Various wonderful Christian leaders um, of of many years ago came out of the Keswick. Culpepper and... Yeah, many, 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 you know, even leading up to John Stott, you know, in the more recent days. But the Keswick, one of the the leaders of the Keswick um, uh, movement, I think his name was uh, McQuilkin, I believe his name was. And he he broke down sanctification into a three-tiered process. 
what he called positional sanctification. So that would be like kind of justification that we're, we're sanctified positionally based upon the finished work and merit of Jesus Christ. Then secondly is what he would call the experiential. And that's exactly what you're talking about, Luke, mm-hmm. of the process of us working out our faith, doing our faith, living our faith. So experiencing our faith, if you will, in the real world. And then the third part that, that the Keswick fellows pointed out is what they call permanent sanctification that, you know, the moment you die, you, you are, you are made completely holy. You don't have to worry about sinning anymore. But because it is such a loaded, I mean, even though it's a simple question, and we answered it simply, it really is loaded. And so many people have really talked about, you know, what is sanctification and and am I progressing and am I not? And, you know, as we've already addressed, you get two extremes and, you know, so how do we be biblically balanced? And I think you just gave us the ammunition, if you will, in a in a nonviolent sense of way. <laughs> To, to move forward, and that's to, to use the Bible. Go back to the earliest Christian documents we have, Scripture, and determine what the Bible, you know, and the, the, the biblical authors would tell us to do. You know, Jesus himself said, be ye what? Transformed. Transformed, or in some, some be perfect, as yeah. your heavenly Father is perfect. And if that's not a call to, to holiness and to um, uh, transformation and... You know, so starting with Jesus and then Paul and all the biblical writers over and over and over again, give us the clarion call to be holy people, to be set apart, because in in its basic sense, that's what sanctification is, to be set apart as an object of holiness as unto the Lord. So, so. All of these components in the biblical verses you brought up, I think, are important. They're the important tools in our tool chest that we that we need to rely on when we're talking about sanctification. So some practical examples of what this might look like, as obvious as it might sound from especially the verse in Hebrews, where it says, lay aside every weight and the sin mm-hmm. which doth so easily beset you. There's... This would go into the doctrine of what we would call homartiology. Mm-hmm. What what exactly is sin? And the Bible defines it as to him that knoweth to do right and doeth it not, to him it is sin. So that's the idea of even omission. Right. And then there's also, of course, the transgression of the law. And it's not talking just about the law of Moses, although obviously breaking the Decalogue is largely going to land you in a place that is uh, not a good place. Right. But generally, the, the conscience... And the witness of the New Testament scriptures, the commands of Christ Mm -hmm. are what are being countenanced here. And so, as Paul talks about in Romans 7, and as we hear Pastor Skip address fairly regularly when he comes to these types of passages, the Greek word there is the agonizomai, the word we get agony from, Mm -hmm. in that it is not not a process that is easy to stay in, but it is simply understood. Mm -hmm. Like, what is it that we need to do? Well, we need to get our sins that we volitionally participate in out of our life. We need to stop yielding our members as servants to unrighteousness. And that can take any number of things. It can be the spiritual, the sins of the spirit, which are listed, you know, whether they're, and they're almost the anti fruit of the spirit, those things that cause us, that's really where the sin begins. And then there's also the sins of the flesh listed in Galatians. One of which rather interestingly is heresy. You know, it made me, made me laugh 
when I read that, not because I'm mocking sin, but the idea, you know, you're reading along and there's all these terrible sins and it's heresy. Mm-hmm. Well, it's a work of the flesh. Like mm-hmm. people don't teach wrong doctrine unless mm-hmm. they're not being led by the spirit. That's right. And then, you know, the, the ultimate thing, which you pointed out earlier, Brian, I thought was excellent. Following the lead of the spirit, Paul says, walk in the spirit and you will not fulfill the desires of the flesh. Mm-hmm. All of which, of course, could be speaking of both the sins of the spirit and the sins that one would use their body itself to commit. And so on the practical side is to answer that part. And how do I do it? There's the, that's the negative side, right? That's what we're separating from. And then recently, Pastor Skip's been talking about all the things that we separate to, mm-hmm. talking about Colossians, putting on the new man. And both of those things are countenance. So I've talked about the negative side a little bit, Brian. Did you want to elucidate some of the positive side? Well, there's a lot of scripture references that tell us, you know, what that new person looks like, what a sanctified life was. I mean, you know, you could begin with Jesus, you know, for the believer, the Sermon on the Mount. You know, that, oh, yeah. that, that is the place. If, if you want sanctification 101 mm. and you want to know what a sanctified life looks like, you turn no further than the Sermon on the Mount. And beginning in Matthew chapter 5, Jesus really lays out these criteria of a sanctified life. And why do we think that this, you know, is for believers? Well, even though there were multitudes around, The text says, and seeing the multitudes, so there were multitudes around Jesus when he was giving the teaching. He went up to the mountain, and when he was seated, his disciples came to him, and he taught his disciples, you know, the the people who were closest to him. So even though other people were hearing what Jesus was saying on the, the Sermon on the Mount, it was specifically directed towards the disciples who came to him, who were around him. And you get a sense of what a sanctified life looks like um, from this perspective of Jesus with the Sermon on the Mount. So, blessed are the poor in spirit, blessed are those who mourn, blessed are the meek, blessed are those who hunger for and thirst for righteousness, blessed are the merciful, blessed are the pure in heart, blessed are the peacemakers, blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness. And he goes, you know, and we could unpack all of those, but then he goes, you know, that you're, you're salt and light of, of the earth. Um, how do we fulfill the law? Um, you know, watching our heart, that murder begins in our heart. Marriage, mm-hmm. a sacred binding um, scenario. And again, I'm just summarizing some of the major points right. here. Uh, the not taking of, of oaths falsely. So being honest in, in what you have to say. Going the second mile for, for people who are not your friends, but, you know, right. turning the other cheek. Loving your enemy. And then in chapter six, he get, tells us how to pray. So a sanctified life is a life that is praying. And then Jesus gives us that. And he also tells us some criteria or some insight on fasting, where to lay up our treasures, how to treat our eyes, what we're to look at and not look at. Here's an interesting one, not to worry. A life that's conforming in more and more to the image of Christ shouldn't be a life that's sitting around biting your nails, but understanding right. that, that it's God in control. But then, you know, really at the end of all this, Jesus is really kind of summarizes it for us. You know, seek first God's mm. kingdom. So a holy life from Jesus's perspective is that life which is seeking God's kingdom. Seek first the kingdom of God. So I would begin with Jesus. But then from there, you could turn to Paul 
let's say, and there are plenty of passages. You know, you mentioned Colossians 3. And what I love about Colossians 3 that you had brought up is he tells us, you know, he uses the, the, um, put off, put on. yeah, exactly. Yeah. The criteria of clothing, <laughs> yeah. you know, take off all this old junk. You're, you're worn and soiled and smelly clothes. You know, the clothes that you were at the gym with your old life and put on new clothes and the things that, um, you know, that he tells us to, to put on that, that Paul tells us to put on are interesting enough for is, is to be holy, to be loved, Put on tender mercies, Mm. put on kindness, put on humility, meekness, long-suffering, bearing with one another and forgiving one another. If anyone has a complaint against another, even as Christ forgave you, so you must also do. But then, above all these garments you just put on, your outer garment, your cloak, if you will, your your coat— the thing right. that holds it all together is put on love. So if you were to if you were to compare and contrast Paul's list here to let's say the Sermon on the Mount, you would find great parallel right. um, between what Jesus said in the Sermon on the Mount and what Paul and James and others say elsewhere. So I would tell someone, hey, if you want the the gold standard, you want you want it from the Messiah's mouth, if you will, right. of what a holy life should look like, go no further than the teachings on, you know, and, and it's for disciples. And that is the gold standard of what a holy life is, right. seeking God's kingdom. I completely agree. And I I don't want any of you who are listening to think that we're trying to make lists for you to complete, because that's not, even though there are lists in the sense that there are recognizable boxes that get checked, the operative motivation for those things is not for you to go take a grocery list and say, I need to do all these things. The idea is if you are yielded to the spirit, all of those things will begin to manifest. As in the example you gave right at the beginning, Brian, when we unpack this about all of a sudden you notice that your life is changing, not because you're out there, you may know what all the boxes are, but just trying to achieve the objective of the box and saying, I need to do all these things. If you've left the agency of the Holy Spirit out of that process, Mm -hmm. you may achieve a reasonable amount of conformity, but conformity in its classic sense is not the same as transformation. Mm -hmm. A transformed life will conform, but not all conformed lives are transformed. Right. And what Jesus is talking about with the idea is I want to build this in you rather than you trying to just, build it onto yourself by taking on all these new tasks. It's like, no, you live your life from the inside out. And right. it's something that God does in you because you seek it. Yeah. And then he can form. It says being confident of this very thing that he, which hath begun a good work in you will perform it unto the day of Jesus Christ. And so hopefully yeah. uh, those of you who are divided, perhaps maybe you've heard more of the, the reformed view, or you've been immersed more in that, or maybe you've been immersed more in the extreme, you know, Wesleyan or Arminian view where you have a completely different view of soteriology and sanctification. This brings you back to the authority of the word of God. Right. And And it's so practical. It is. And, And here's, and I love what you're saying, Luke, because here's what it is. It is a work of the Holy Spirit in our life. And, and, you know, we're called to walk in the spirit, but I think, I think it is a joy-filled, abundant yes. life. Um, you know, trying to live a sanctified life of, of being set apart for God's purposes, it should be a joyful life. I mean, 
how beautiful it is to love other people and to show kindness to people and and to be humble around people. I mean, these are these are great things. You know, we started off by you know comparing and contrast. You know, justification from sanctification. You know, justification is a, is a one time work where God saves you. Right. He justifies. Sanctification is a process. And like I said, the Keswick people, you know, gave different times, uh, a different terminology. Other people just think of it this way. Think of your sanctification process as like past, present, and future. Past, I was, I was sanctified by the work of the Holy Spirit. Presently, the Holy Spirit is working in and through me, conforming me in the image of Christ. And one day in the future, I'll be with Christ and then I'll be made complete. So if we if we look at our life as a journey, a sojourn, a pilgrimage, mm. that we are we are joyfully seeking the abundance of God's life and His grace and His mercy. He's a good God. He Amen. he's he's going to walk with you and and conform you and and do what He's going to do. We just need to open ourselves up to what the Lord wants to do in our lives and allow Him to do it. Oh, I, I love what you said there, Brian. I think it's a fulfilled life mm-hmm. and it's be, it's a fulfilled life because God is the one who designed it that way. So as we've looked at this question, we unpacked it, talked about what it is, talked about what the Bible says its practical outworking is in our life. If you have questions of your own, by all means, reach out to us. We'd love to get a chance to answer your questions and to be able to discuss what the scriptures say about it. Reach out to us at calvary.college at calvaryabq.org. Again, that's calvary.college at calvaryabq.org. And once again, God bless you and thank you for listening.